I thank God for all who have led us so wonderfully in worship today. We are concluding a sermon series called Harbingers of the Cross. We're looking at key moments toward the end of Jesus' earthly life that point toward his death. And today I want to draw your attention to Mark chapter 11. I'll read verses 1 through 10 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of the sermon is The Gospel According to Animals. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We used to have the cutest little dog our family did. It was a little white dog named Snow. Snow had a sweet spirit and lots of energy. One thing I will always remember about Snow is how she would talk. She would signal she was thirsty by knocking her water bowl all over the kitchen. But that's not what I mean by talk. Uh, she would signal she needed to go out by sitting in front of the front door until someone took her out. But that's not what I mean by talk either. I often took snow for walks around our neighborhood. And when she was very young, I started referring to these walks we would go on as romps. I'd say to my wife, Dana, I'm taking snow for a romp. And I'd put a leash on her. And we'd go. 
I'd say to my daughters, Maggie, Nora, I'm taking snow for a romp. And we'd be out the door. Over time, Snow picked up on this. And whenever she'd hear me say that word, romp, she would perk up and scurry over right at my feet, looking really excited. And she would say that word to me, romp, romp. My family sometimes insinuated that it sounded a lot like her regular bark. I'd say, Snow is talking. Did y'all hear that? She just said romp. They'd shake their heads, maybe roll their eyes. But honestly, seriously now, I truly detected a difference in Snow's voice when she was saying romp. Sometimes I hadn't said a word. I'd just go sit on the couch and put my sneakers on, and she'd come running over saying romp. Sometimes I'd come in the door after a long day at work. I hadn't said a word, and she'd say romp. Snow would tell me she wanted to go on walks by talking to me. Somebody might be thinking, what kind of church is this? Where the preacher believes animals can talk. But we need only venture to the third chapter of the Bible to find a talking animal. Genesis 2 reports that God made Adam and Eve and set them in a beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden. God said they could eat from any tree they wanted to eat from except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But in Genesis 3, a serpent appeared and the serpent said to Eve, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? I would have been like, whoa, a talking snake. But Eve took it quite seriously and replied, actually God did say we shouldn't eat of that one tree because if we do, we will die. The snake said, oh, you won't die if you eat from that tree. The fruit of the tree looked awfully tasty to Eve. So she ate some. And she gave some to Adam who was there with her. And he ate it too. That's the biblical story of how sin and death entered the world. That's the story of the fall of humanity. That's the story of how human disobedience to God got started. It all traces back to a talking animal. Yet the serpent isn't the only talking animal in the Bible. There's one other animal in the pages of Holy Scripture that speaks. 
It's found in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapter 22, the story of the prophet Balaam and his donkey. Balaam was riding his donkey down the road to go and do something that was against God's will. So an angel of the Lord, wielding a sword, stood in front of him to block his path. Balaam did not see the angel, but his donkey did. So the donkey veered off the road into a field in order to avoid the angel. Balaam got mad and smacked his donkey and turned him back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow stretch of road with a wall on either side, blocking Balaam's way again. And again, the donkey saw the angel, but Balaam did not. The donkey scraped against the wall to get around the angel, and in doing so, it scraped Balaam's leg against the wall. Balaam winced and looked down at the strawberry on his knee and smacked his donkey again. Then the angel stood in Balaam's way a third time, blocking a very narrow path. For a third time, the donkey saw the angel, but Balaam did not. Since there was no way around the angel... The donkey just laid down. Balaam got so mad at that point that he smacked his donkey with his staff. Whap! Then says verse 28, The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? I would have been like, Whoa! A talking donkey! But Balaam took it quite seriously and said, You made a fool out of me, donkey, and if I had a sword, I would kill you right now. The donkey said, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel with the sword standing in front of him. The angel said to Balaam, Why did you hit your donkey these three times? If it had not turned away from me, I would have killed you and let it live. Then Balaam said, I have sinned. And so the talking donkey was vindicated. At this point, some of y'all might be wondering if we're talking about the Bible or Shrek 2. But this is important, really important. God speaks through a donkey to save Balaam's life. Balaam was on the wrong path, and the donkey set him right again. Let me interject here that the Bible is such an amazing book that even if you 
only listen to the two talking animals within its pages, you can hear the gospel message. The snake speaks to human sin, and the donkey speaks to divine salvation. The snake represents the word of evil, and the donkey represents the word of God. The snake turns humanity away from God's will, and the donkey turns humanity toward God's will. The snake brings death, and the donkey brings life. I don't know if Jesus was thinking about the story of Balaam's donkey as he prepared to enter Jerusalem the Sunday before he died. As a devout Jewish man, Jesus surely would have known the story of Balaam and his donkey, so perhaps it came to mind as he deliberately chose to ride a donkey into town. This was an odd choice, by the way, a very odd choice choice because back then when kings rode into towns ceremoniously they typically rode hulking war horses to show off if you're royalty you ride a majestic steed not a modest mule you ride an animal of war not an animal of peace you ride a strong stallion not a stubborn donkey but Jesus told his disciples to fetch him a donkey I know some translations say colt but all indications are that this animal was a donkey as Bible scholar Joel Marcus notes the Greek term in the text can denote donkeys and it was more likely for people to leave a donkey unattended in a village square than a horse because horses were rare, expensive, and generally reserved for military or elite use. Jesus specifically requests for his disciples to bring him a donkey that has never been ridden before. We see here a foretoken of Jesus' death. When according to John 19, he was laid in a tomb in which no one had ever been laid before. The donkey that had never been ridden foreshadows the grave where no one had ever been laid. The entry to Jerusalem on Sunday points to his death the following Friday. The ride on the donkey leads to demise on a cross. Jesus' triumphal entry eventuates in his tragic expiration. Well, they brought the donkey to him and lay their cloaks on it to form an impromptu saddle. And Jesus sat on it. There he was for the first time in his three-year public ministry riding an animal. People spread cloaks and branches and straw along the road in order to make a path for him. It was a poor man's parade for an undignified-looking dignitary. Jesus was not a very noble-looking nobleman. 
Not a very stately looking statesman. Not a very regal looking royal. Bible scholar Alan Culpepper compares this scene to the Emperor Vespasian's entrance into Rome. Vespasian entered the city draped in fine purple robes with magistrates and senators before him with gold and silver and rare art adorning the procession and with all the spoils of war in his train. By contrast, Jesus rides a borrowed donkey on a makeshift saddle as people toss sweatshirts and yard brush into the road. No senators were looking on, but rather fishermen and beggars. No magistrates were in the procession, but rather a, an exuberant group of little kids. This spectacle of highway theater was obviously a low-budget production, and yet the people yell, Hosanna, which means save us. They wanted to be saved from what the talking snake got us all into. They wanted to be saved from the sin and the death that that talking snake got us into, so they yelled, save us. Why were they so excited and so inspired by this unrefined, unsightly, unsophisticated-looking procession? Well, there's a prophecy in Genesis chapter 49 that associates the Messiah with a donkey. Even more, there's a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 that Jesus knew full well he was fulfilling. Zechariah 9, 9 declares, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. He shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Notice that Jesus did not say a single word during his ride into the city. Not one word. He had spoken at the temple and at synagogues. He had spoken on boats and on streets. He had spoken on the plains and on the mountaintops. He had spoken at people's houses and at dinner parties. He had spoken in cities and in the countryside. But when he rode into Jerusalem the Sunday before he died, not a single word emerged from his mouth. I think it's because the donkey said it all. Sure, its noises may have sounded like routine snorts and hee-haws, but that donkey was talking. It was talking up a storm, telling the people everything they needed to know. If the serpent tells us to sin and leads us to death, the donkey tells us who the Savior is and leads us to life. That's why the people were singing, Hosanna, save us. They heard the donkey's message loud and clear, and they were praising Christ 
the Savior. They heard the message from the donkey as clearly as Balaam had heard his donkey talking, and it saved them. I believe that if we listen to the donkey's message, it can save us too. The donkey says that to believe in Jesus, we have to believe in a lot of counterintuitive, paradoxical realities. We have to believe the greatest ruler in the history of earth was not one of the powers that be, but rather came to challenge them with the way of peace. We have to believe the most triumphal entry any ruler ever made into any city looked like a clumsy, low-budget, thrown-together parade. We have to believe in a kingdom that is not of this world. We have to believe in a king who is humble at heart, not self-important, who rides a diminutive donkey, not a dominant war horse, who wears a crown of thorns, not a crown of jewels, who reigns on a lowly cross, not a lofty throne, who rules with a nail-scarred hand, not an iron fist, and who conquers by love, while others just love to conquer. The donkey says, we have to believe there is glory in humility. There is royalty in poverty. There is power in meekness. There is wisdom in folly. There is greatness in service. There is victory in surrender. There is salvation in faith. And there is life in Death. Christians have to believe in the crucified Messiah. We have to believe in the suffering Savior. We have to believe in the Lamb of God who rides a little donkey and crushes the serpent underfoot. We have to believe in a lot of stuff that sounds crazy. Maybe even talking animals. Amen.